Well, good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter. Everybody doing well? Go ahead and slap somebody a high five and wish them a happy Easter this morning. Now, now, see, see, whoa, 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 listen, listen, listen. That's the problem. You slapping a high five to somebody you know. Go ahead and slap a high five to somebody you don't know. There you go. Can I get a high five? High five, high five, high five, high five. I'm loving that. High five. All right. All right. If you guys haven't guessed already, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church of the Bridge. And it is truly a pleasure to have a couple of moments here with you. As we get started today, I want to just, uh, I want to invite you all to something. I want to invite you to a conversation. And I want you to hear what I'm saying when I say that. Today, you've all come here for various reasons. Somebody invited you. This is your church. You've been checking us out. You saw something on social media. Uh, you've been here before, and it's been a while. Whatever the case is, my goal here today, our goal here today is not to tell you what to do. Our goal here is not to tell you what to believe. Our, he- our goal here is to give you what God's Word says. Now, I'm going to tell you how that's a conversation. Because... When all you have is what the Word of God says, then all we can do is respond in return to what the Word says. That makes sense? It's like if I say, hola, como estas? Some of you will go, what? Right? Some of you will go, hola, como estas? Right? Or whatever. You get my point. So my point today is this, that all I am aiming to do today is simply to propose to you what God's Word says about Easter. And what God's word says about how that applies to our lives. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and I struggled in church growing up. You know why? Because I never understood how it applied to my life. It didn't make sense to me. It was a bunch of religious hula hoops, right? We, we hooed, we shimmied, we did this, we did that. But we, we, we walked in powerful services and we, and we left the same. And so today I want to simply invite you into a conversation with the word of God concerning God's love. And how God's love made a way. And so today marks a special day. It's Easter Sunday, right? For some of us, we call it Resurrection Sunday, right? But have you ever thought of why Easter's such a big deal? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what's the big deal about Jesus rising from the dead? Yeah, I've heard that. It sounds good. Yeah, you know, I learned that in school, you know, in, 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 uh, in, in, uh, in classes before I did my confirmation or whatever. Right? We've all kind of been there. But what's the big deal? What's, what's the big deal? Well, the truth is that for many today, Easter is just a religious day of observance. Right? It's a day where we take some time to maybe think about who God is. Or think about Jesus. Or, you know, spend some time with family and maybe we just talk about Jesus. When in reality, Easter is not just a one-day affair. It's an everyday affair that announces one thing that God has always been thinking about mankind. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me bring that down a little bit more personal. God has always been thinking about you, Amen. about me, about us. Now that in and of itself is a mind-blowing thought because when you think about God, for some of us, maybe he seems a bit foreign, right? We're going through some things in life and we're kind of going, God, where are you, right? Uh, or, or whatever uh, that may be. But I want to, Start off this morning with a very familiar passage of scripture. I mean, you see this in bumper stickers. But I don't know if we ever take the time to truly appreciate what God is saying. 
In John 3.16, and we're also going to read verses 17, verse 17, it says, For God so loved the world. Now, I got, I got, a, I got a little tidbit for you. This is, this is real, real deep. You ready? When the Bible says God so loved the world, has it ever crossed your mind that that includes you? Has it ever come into your mind that God thinks about you, that God cares about you, that God is concerned about you, that God has uh, purposes for your life, that God really wants to bring some sort of meaning and clarification in a very personal, intimate way? Not through a preacher, not through, not through people, not through a religious service, not through some songs, but personally that God loves you so much that watch what it says, that he gave his one and only son. When God decided to express the full extent of his love, he gave. And when he gave, he gave his very best. But why? What's the big deal about it? Well, according to Scripture, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if we stop and think about that, well, what does that really mean? Let's think about this. Let's, let's, let's be smart about this and consider what the word is. What does that really mean that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? Why would God do that? What's the big deal about that? Why, why, why a life for lives? Why, why is that important? Why, is that even, why does that even matter? Why do we even reflect upon that and think about that? And there's a reason why. According to the scripture here, what we see is when it talks about how God gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that word perish there speaks of being lost. But it speaks of being lost in the Greek. It speaks of being lost, but being lost and not knowing it, and you're heading down a path that's going to lead to ruin. Think of it this way. It's like walking in the dark in full confidence, believing that nothing's going to get in your way, and then banging your ankle on something and breaking your leg or something because you can't see but somehow you believe I'll figure this out now if we could just be honest with ourselves for some we might be living that way maybe we think that way I got this I'm living life I'm good I'm doing me I'm enjoying life I've got it all figured out I'm going to go to college and then after college I'm going to go and I'm going to get this job and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get married and then I'm going to have kids and whatever and we have this plan this grand idea And what we fail to realize is that what Jesus did for all mankind was to provide a way. A way. I'm going to show you that in a second. I'm going to dig in. I know for some of us, we're still kind of like, okay, where are we going with this? But verse 17 gives us some further insight. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want you to think about this. God gave his son not for the purposes of condemning. So what is that really saying? That when God sent Jesus, the one thing he wasn't doing was sending judgment. What he was doing was providing a way. Providing a way. And that way opens up a path in life that for some of us we've never thought of. Let me just put it to you like this. God, God's love made a way for us. It reminds me of a story I once read about a woman named Maria Fedorovna. I know I messed that up. I jacked that up. I'm not Russian. I, I apologize. Excuse me. Right? No. Maria Fedorovna was the wife of Alexander III, who was the Tsar of Russia from 1881 to 1894. 
Now, this, this particular czar, this ruler during this time in Russia was known for his extreme cruelness. His reign as, as czar was marked by repression and in particular by his fervent passion to kill Jewish people. He was passionate about it. He was fervent in his persecution. Maria, on the other hand, his wife, was the complete opposite of him. She provided a stark contrast to her husband because she was known routinely for her generosity to those in need, including Jewish people. And so on one occasion, and this is an actual account, by the way, this isn't just a story. On one occasion, her husband had signed a warrant consigning a Jewish man to be sought out for the purpose of being uh, exiled out of Russia, away from his family and loved ones, to a far distant land called Serbia. This man, this Jewish man, knew nothing about the fate that awaited him in exile. But with the stroke of a pen, the czar, Alexander III, penned his fate and his demise, and it was sealed. It was done. The warrant read simply these words. It said, pardon, impossible, to be sent to Serbia. Now, I want to point your attention to this. Notice where the comma is. Pardon, impossible, to be sent to Serbia. But Maria, compassionate as she was, and the complete opposite of her husband, did something that was life-changing in the, in the life of this Jewish man. Maria changed the prisoner's life by moving the comma in her husband's order so that it read, pardon, impossible to be sent to Serbia. With one stroke of the pen, I want you to consider this. According to what God says through his word, God moved the comma that stood against us and changed the sentence that awaited us. Listen to what the scriptures say. John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but to save. And I don't know about you, but I have been there for myself where God in my eyes was the hammer and I was the nail every single time. And I felt like I couldn't relate to God. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. For me, I'm just talking about me, life was difficult. And reconciling and understanding in my mind that somehow I can have a relationship with God, that God could love me, didn't, didn't fit in this brain of mine. And so today, my hope is that we'll see what Easter's really about in its true simplicity and how God's love made a way for all of us. And I want us to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 24. We're going to be reading from verses 13 to 24. And I'm going to give you some backdrop here. For, for what's happening as we read this, to give us context for this particular occurrence with Jesus and these two men. Uh, Jesus, at this point, where, we pick, where we're going to pick up in, in this story, Jesus has already been crucified. It's been three days since he's been dead, physically. And so uh, I want you to think about what that actually meant for people at that time. I want you to insert yourself in the Bible for a second. And I want you to consider that you put all your hope, all your trust, all, your, all, all that you were looking towards in the future, all you put it all on a person. 
You put it on this man named Jesus. You saw him do great things. You saw him perform great miracles. You saw him change lives. You've seen him feed the thousands, the masses. You've seen him by just his words inscribe upon the hearts of people and on your own. And it's transformed the way you relate to God, the way you think about God, the way you see life. It's brought some life change. It's dynamic. It's far beyond anything you could ever uh, think or imagine on your own. And then all of a sudden... Your object of hope is gone. The one that you put all your trust in, it's gone. Now, for some of us, we might go, well, that's kind of hard to think, you know, to insert myself there because, you know, that was over 2,000 years ago. Well, let me just put it to you this way. Have you ever found yourself in a place in life where you put all your hope, all your trust, that you looked for the future in a person, in a thing, in a career, in money, in education, whatever it is, only to have it fall flat. Now think about that feeling. Think about that stage in life if you've been there. And I want you to consider this story in light of that. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 24 to begin. Starting at verse 13, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emos which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So get this picture. Two people, two men, and they're traveling on a road. They're going to a place called Emos. They know where they're going. But let's dig in a little bit deeper and examine exactly what's happening in their lives. Verse 14 says, And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Now, just a reminder, Jesus has passed away. These are disciples of Jesus. Verse 15, and so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? We're beginning to see the state of where these men find themselves in life at this juncture. Verse 18, then, one of, then, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to him, What things? And so they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women who had said as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So I want you to begin to insert yourself and see the tension that's happening here. These men are on a journey to a place called Emos. They know where they're going. They know how to get there. They're walking that path. 
And while having a destination point, while having a sense of direction, they're struggling in life with a greater sense of loss. They're empty. Life all of a sudden just doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. Let's look back at at verse uh, 19 here in Luke 24. I want you to see their words. I want you to hear what they said. Now, mind you, prior to this, they believed he was the Christ. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed he was the promised one of God. But now we find them here saying, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Here's what they're saying. Maybe you're not tracking with this at this moment. Maybe you are. But here's what they're saying. He's not who we thought he was. And here's what's interesting about this story. They find themselves helpless, hopeless, struggling, lacking purpose, lacking meaning for life, distraught, saddened, broken. And they're walking with Jesus and they can't see it. Why? You know, sometimes in the rat race of life and in the midst of figuring out life on our own, it's very easy to get so caught up in what's most important, quote unquote, what seems of, of, of that, that requires maximum attention from us to the extent that while we're running this rat race and trying to fulfill our lives and find purpose and accomplish things and do all these things, not that there's anything wrong with that, in the midst of all that, we find ourselves walking and we may not even realize who's the one walking amongst us. Let me just say plainly to you, whether you've ever factored God into your life or not, God loves you. And what God did, he did for all mankind. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for the person who's on death row. He did it for the person who's the businessman. He did it for the rich. He did it for the poor. He did it for the in-betweener. He did it for the one struggling. He did it for the one making it. He did it for the entire world. You know, maybe we should read it this way. What's your name, sweetheart, if you don't mind? Raven? What if we read it like this? For God so loved Raven. What if we saw it that way? For God so loved Jose. For God so loved Rhonda. For God so loved Lewis. For God so loved Naomi. For God so loved Mark. For God so loved Mike. For God so loved Alex. For God so loved me. That he gave. That he gave. So these men are on this journey. But while their destination point is clear to them, life itself is unclear. Their sense of life with promise has evaporated, and while knowing their destination point on this journey to a place called Emos, Emos, they find themselves struggling for direction for life. We've all been there, if we could be honest. We've all been there. We've all been there. Trying to figure it out, right? Trying to make sense of it. Maybe, maybe we're still there, but let me introduce to you another portion of this story because right now we might be looking at this story from an abstract place. There's no connection. That's Jesus and two people. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that this is not just their story. This is our story. This is your story. 
God, God wants you to see something about his approach. And so Jesus shows up. But as we saw already to this point in the, in the scriptures, they didn't recognize him. And the reason why was because their hurt was so great that they couldn't recognize the greater one than their sorrow. They couldn't recognize the one that was greater than their disappointment. They couldn't see that their hope was walking with them in the midst of their hopelessness. To them, this man was foreign. He was out of touch. He couldn't relate to their sense of loss for crying out loud. He didn't even know who Jesus was. This dude is weird. To them, he appeared this way. But what they didn't realize that this man was different. This man was Jesus. And his agenda in walking alongside them for the duration of their journey was not to get anything from them, but to give them something so great. He had no selfish ulterior motives. Jesus once said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. His purpose amongst them was to redirect them back to the place where life once again made sense, where life once again had purpose, where life once again was crystal clear. Hey, listen, I know that in our own trajectory in life, our own paths, life somehow in our own limited thinking makes sense. But let me ask you something. How's that working out for you? How's life on your own, apart from God, not even considering God? How's that working for you? And if you're not there, how did it work for you when you weren't? See, these men actually came to believe in God. They came to believe in Jesus. They really did. They were followers of Him. But their belief was misdirected. As we saw in the scriptures here, they say to Jesus, while not understanding who's walking with him, they say to him, we thought that he was a prophet. We thought that he was coming, he would redeem Israel. Here's what that means. They were looking to the Messiah to be the one that would come and redeem Israel from their oppressors of Rome. They thought that God would come, he would send the Messiah, and the Messiah's task would simply be to deliver them from all those that oppressed them. And what they did not see was that God had a greater agenda. God wasn't thinking just about the people of Israel. God was thinking about you and me. And so their belief was misdirected. Their view of God was based upon those hopes. And you might be wondering up until this point, what exactly does this have to do with me? Why is it necessary for me to look to Jesus? Why, why, why should I... Be looking to Jesus and trusting in Jesus. Well, let me tell you why, according to the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Listen to what the scriptures say, not what I say. Don't leave here with what Pastor Jose said. I am nobody. I propose to you today simply God and his word, his opinion. He says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Simply put, here's what it's telling us about sin. That sin isn't something we do. Sin is something that we inherited through one person. It came from the first man, and ever since then, it's been passed down. So sin is not what we do. Everybody say that with me. Sin is not what we do. I want, you to, I want you to see this from Scripture. 
Because it's, your, your eyes are about to be open to some things. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. That's all of us. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will in triumph, will triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So what is the scripture saying here? What it's saying to us is that the way that we overcome what we once were and what, what we inherited is simply through Jesus. Now for some of us, that's a, that's a hard concept because we've been taught it's according to how I dress. It's according to how I speak. It's according to who I hang with. It's according to how I behave. It's according to what I present. But if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus walked among thieves. He hung with the ones that nobody else. Jesus said this once. They questioned him and Jesus said, I didn't come for those that got it all together. He says, I didn't come for the ones that, that, are, that, are, that are healed and the ones that are right. He says, I came for the sick. I came for the ones that have a need of a savior. And so what I want us to see here is that when God sent Jesus, he was doing something even greater. He was approaching mankind according to his grace, his goodness. He wasn't asking for anything in return. He was simply giving something and it was righteousness. What does that mean? It just simply means this. I'm making you right with me despite what you've done. That's all it means. That's all it means. And so in verse 18, it says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for some people. Is that what it says? No, no it says for everyone, everyone, everyone. See, God so loved us that he restored that which was lost. He opened a path where there was none for us. And the way that he did that was he came in the form of a man. Now, let me show you a little bit further, and then I want to build upon this. In Romans 3, 21 through 26, it says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. If you know anything about religion, religion says, do A, do B, do C, do D, do F, and G, and you're okay with God. Pray these prayers. Say these confessions. Read these, these prayers, go to this place, offer this amount of money, do this, do that, and you're right with God. This, these scriptures completely obliterate that understanding. They do away with it. Because it says that God has shown a way for us to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses, of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You know what I feel like doing right now? I feel like grabbing one of those mics and just dropping it. That's what I feel like doing. I just feel like just dropping the mic. We're done. Happy Easter. Enjoy your time with your family. Because it's not that complicated. It's really not that complicated. I want you to consider what the scripture is saying here. It says that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. It doesn't mean that we are right with God by placing our faith in what we do for God. And what we give to God. And what we give up for God. I hope I don't offend any, anybody with what I'm about to say. Um, my intent is not to be offensive. Um, 
But if you know me for any given time, for those of you that have been here, or if this is your first introduction, what you see is what you get. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And there's no offense in that. But there's, there's this mindset that says that for 40 days before Easter, we have to give up something. I'm giving up chocolate. I'm giving up uh, my TV shows. I'm giving up my Netflix. I'm giving up uh, my exercise. I'm giving up uh, healthy food. I'm giving up whatever, right? And there's this mindset that kind of assumes uh, for all this time, I'm going to give this up for God. Meanwhile, God's response is, just focus on what I gave up for you. Listen, if it depended upon you and I to give something to God, to be right with God, what do we need Jesus for? It's all about faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's just faith in Jesus Christ. What does that simply mean? I believe you're the son of God. I believe that God loves me. I believe that you gave your best. You paid a price for me, and that price made me right with you. And so even when I fall short, I'm still right with you. Now, now I heard, I heard that thought somewhere in here. I don't know who said it, but I heard the thought that said, well, so what are you saying, that we could just sin? I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. But what I want you to understand is that God's justice system is different than ours. Let me show you what I mean from Scripture. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3. Uh, we'll pick up from verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. Who makes us right? God, not us, right? So watch verse 25. It says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Let me put it to you another way. God presented Jesus as the payment for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead, that's you and me, and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight, when they believe in Jesus. I remember a couple of years back, uh, my wife and I, we went to uh, California, I wish. Um, We went to Florida, right? And we drove. And so we were driving through this area called Ocala, right? And it's a combination of this up-and-coming community, but it's also just a lot of farm, farm country. And so we're driving through this area, and I want to believe that somebody just wasn't paying attention to what they were doing when they put up the speed signs, Right, because it's, it, it, it seemed to me that as we were driving through that you would go from 60 to 20 to 30 to 50 to 20 to 65, and, and it's just, so in one of those, I'm just kind of driving, right, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, you know, last sign I saw said 60, right? I, I'm honest to God, I'm not lying to you. I thought I was in a 60. So I'm driving, and then all of a sudden I hear, woo, 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 and I look over to my right, and at that point, I stopped worrying about the police officer because I saw the death stare my wife was giving me. (laughs) And so um, I did what any good law-abiding citizen does. I did not look to my right at my wife. I simply put my hands on the steering wheel and looked forward because I didn't want what she was going to tell me. The police officer comes and says, how you doing, officer? He says, I'm good. He says, you know why I pulled you over? I said, I actually don't. Did I 
do something wrong? Did I make a turn where I wasn't supposed to? Did I run a red light? He says, uh, you were doing 60 in a 25. I said, excuse me? He says, according to Florida law, I can arrest you right now. I said, sir, I honestly thought I was in a 60. I, I noticed that back there, the signs, they change occasionally. He says, oh, yeah, the, the signs change frequently here. And so I'm like, gee, thanks, bud. Right? <laughs> and so he, uh, he says to me, he, sa- he says, you know, give, give me a license of registration. He says, I'm not going to find anything. Right? I said, no, I'm, I'm good. He goes, all right. He goes back to his car. I'm sweating bullets because my wife is just staring at me. You ever feel when somebody's just looking at you, right? And so I'm just kind of like, right? Police officer comes back. He says, you know, I'm going to give you a break. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. He says, I'm not going to send you to jail today. He says, I'm just going to give you a $275 ticket. Then I really got scared because my wife's expression completely changed. But let, let, me, let, me, let me bring this back to what we're talking about. We just saw in scripture that it talks about how God is just and fair and he makes us right with himself through Jesus Christ. Now justice in this world says this. You break the speed limit, legally you have to pay for it, right? Now if I'm driving the car and I break the speed limit, do you have to pay for it? Would you like to pay for it? Good man. I appreciate your honesty. Right? That's, that's the way justice works here amongst us human beings. Right? I guarantee you, somebody's, if they come after somebody and they're going to lock them up and put them away for 25 years, none of you is going to go, send me, please. I'll go in this place. Please. In your mind, no. You did it. You broke it. You, you've got to pay for it. Now watch this. When it comes to sin, the Bible says that we inherited sin. And so by default, we're culpable for it. We're supposed to pay the price for it. But the Bible says that God himself is fair and just and that he makes us right with himself through Jesus. What does that mean? Here's what it means. In God's justice system, you're guilty that because you can't pay for it, because I can't pay for it, because nobody in in mankind can pay for it. Here's what God says. I love you so much and I believe so much in what I created you for from the beginning of time. And I want to restore you back to what I always intended between you and me and your role in this world. That I will become like you and pay the price that was yours to pay. That's justice in God's eyes. Now let me tell you how good news, how much good news that is. You picture yourself being on the other end with the 25 coming and somebody takes the blame for you and you're set free. That's the definition of the goodness of God. That's why Jesus is such a big deal. That's why the resurrection of Christ is so important. Because what the resurrection of Christ asserted, what it said was this. Listen, when you, when you go to a, a, a dealership and you buy a car, I guarantee you this. Before you drive off, you have to have what? An invoice. That invoice has to say what? Paid. Right? So, listen, Jesus dies. The whole world is looking there going, we thought he was the Christ. But then Jesus rises and he says, I told you that what I said I would do, I would complete. And so the the resurrection of Christ is an announcement that simply says this, paid in full. Paid in full. It's paid in full. It's paid in full. Let me prove that to you from scripture. 
Romans 6 verse 10 through 11 says this. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. To break the power of sin. To break the power of sin where? In our lives. And so when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Not many times, not again, one time. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Let me put it to you simply what the Bible is saying here. Sin has been removed. When the Bible says, when God says, I make you right, I'm fair and just, and I make you right in my sight because of Jesus, here's what God is saying. I'm not looking at your past. I'm not looking at your hangups. I'm not looking at what you will do. Why? Because in my sight, because of the price that was paid, all I see is this, you're right with me. That's life-changing, ladies and gentlemen. Because you know what it does? It takes the pressure and it dispels the lie that we have to behave our way into a right relationship with God. Now, I am not saying that we're absolved of the consequences of our actions. God loves us. But listen, when we go there, we bite the bullet for that. That's our responsibility. We did that. God didn't do that. We did that. And so I want to I now jump back to the story and wrap it up. So where we left these two men was they're on this journey. They're not seeing who Jesus is. They're not seeing who he is. And so let's pick up in verse 25. Now in verse 24, we left with, this, with these words, but him they did not see. Verse 25, then he said to them, meaning Jesus, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, all that's simply saying is this. He took everything that they had written from God up until that point. Moses and the prophets, he took that. And watch what he did with it. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't point them to the Ten Commandments. He didn't, matter of fact, you think Ten Commandments is hard enough to keep. There's 613 laws. And according to the book of Galatians, if you break one law, you broke them all. So you're guilty of them all. Thus, we need a Savior. We need someone to pay the price. And so Jesus begins to open their understanding, and all he's doing is pointing them to himself. Verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us. In other words, just stay with us. Don't go. For it was towards evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them and he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? 
Let me tell you, let me, let me reveal to you what happened here. These guys were helpless, hopeless. They're, 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 they're down and out. They're in the pits. And all of a sudden, Jesus is sitting with them. And they're thinking about everything he said. Now, maybe you're familiar with this. But before Jesus was crucified, he had a moment with his disciples where he took bread and he said, take this bread every time you take it. Break it. Eat it. He says, this is my body. And he says, do it in remembrance of me. These were disciples of Jesus. So Jesus sits amongst them. And the Bible says that he takes bread. He breaks it and he blesses it. And their eyes are open. Guess what happened? All of a sudden, they understood who was amongst them the whole time. They saw Jesus for the first time in the midst of their hopelessness. And here's why that's important. Because if you look at the next verse, it says that they looked upon them to, to one another and they said, Did not our hearts burn within as he revealed to us all that the scripture said about himself? That word burn there in the original language, in the Greek language, it speaks of something that is changed and transformed by the, to the extent that what it was is completely consumed. It's done away with and something new comes in its place. And so literally what happened to these guys in the midst of this encounter with Jesus is that their heart of unbelief, their hopelessness, where life no longer made sense, where they no longer had a future to, to look to, where they felt lost and they didn't have any direction. They knew where they were going, but they had no direction for life. They were struggling. They were empty. In the midst of that, they get sight of Jesus and Jesus only, not rules, not actions, not church attendance, not this, not that. They get a sight a hold of Jesus and they believe and where they were once helpless now they have a complete assurance in Jesus Christ where they were once hopeless now they're hopeful listen life takes on a whole new meaning when we understand who Jesus really is when you understand who Jesus really is and what God really did, what's the big deal about Jesus? Life takes on a whole new meaning. It takes on a whole new purpose. Relationship with God takes on a whole new meaning when we understand who Jesus really is and what he's done. As we're closing here today, if you'll join me, let's just stand for a moment. I want you to consider God's word. And I want you to consider what that means for our lives. In Luke chapter 23, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time. But in Luke 23, it records Jesus hanging upon a cross. And that day, there wasn't just one cross. There was three crosses. Jesus hung at the center. The just for the unjust. And what kept him there wasn't nails. It was love. It was his love. His love for all the world. But to each side of him, there are two men. One, one on each side of him. Two men in total. And the Bible records that both of these men were criminals. They had been tried, sentenced, and found guilty, and sentenced to death. By the worst way possible, according to Roman law, by crucifixion. 
And so what we see here is this, that in the midst of the crucifixion of Jesus, we have one man who's not guilty, but has assumed guilt for all mankind. We have one guy who says, hey man, they say you're the son of God. You're the Christ. Why don't you save yourself and save me too while you're at it? Get me out of this mess. And this guy's perspective, his interest is simply, man, just get me out of this situation. On the other side lies another man who looks to this guy on the other side of Jesus and says to him, hey, we're here because we merit what we, what we deserve. We, we're getting what we deserve. We committed crimes. We're guilty. But watch what he goes on to say in verse 41 of Luke 23. He says, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what's happening here? One guy doesn't get who Jesus is and he's right next to him. The other one understands who Jesus is. He understands that he's, 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 he's assumed uh, the injustice and the guilt of all men, but he's just because he's not guilty. And then he goes on and he says something very interesting. He says, Lord, you know what, you know what happened at that moment? He understood who Jesus was. And because he understood who Jesus was, he turned to Jesus. He didn't try to get out of his mess. He simply said, Lord, remember me. And the promise of Jesus was this. This day you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, this day, from this point forward, you will know true life. Ladies and gentlemen, I propose to you this thought. Come on, we can give it up for Jesus. God's love, Jesus Christ, made a way. And that way gives life true meaning, true purpose. It provides true direction. I get, I get teared up, man, because I know what it is to look at life and not see a way. I know what it is to live life and convinced by the age of 16 that I wouldn't live past the age of 20. Because the streets wouldn't, were calling. And life was hard. I can, I, I can relate to, to life being so hopeless. And somehow just saying, you know what, I'm going to just go day by day. I'm going to take it moment by moment. I'm not caring about tomorrow. And I'm not caring about what I'm doing today. Let me just get through today. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not life. That's walking on a path thinking you're knowing where you're going but not having direction. And God's love provides a way that gives life meaning and purpose. It transforms life. It lifts you up. And if you're doing good, guess what? He'll make it better. It gets better. It's greater. That's the, that's the, that's the big deal about Jesus. That's the big deal about God's love. That it takes us from where we are and it pulls us up and transforms our lives to such an extent that it takes us exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we could ask 
or think. It transforms your thinking. It transforms your perspective. It transforms your marriage. It transforms your relationships. It transforms your opportunities. It makes a path for true life. And today, as we close, I want to invite you to go beyond this conversation with God and His Word and to make it personal.